It's never been easier to get on the water with Academy Sports and Outdoors. Stop by your local Academy store or online at academy.com today and shop great gear from fishing's top brands like Luz, Zebco, Abu Garcia, Shimano, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is actually our 50th episode, so we are coming to you with a special episode, our number 50. Here we are. And to celebrate, brought in one of my favorite people to fish with. And I'm talking about Captain Joey Van Dyke of Fingent Sport Fishing out of Hatteras. But we're not going to be talking Hatteras fishing. It's a little slow out there, a little cold water for those inshore dudes. So this is the time of year that Joey goes to Weldon and fishes that famous Weldon Striper Fishery. And that's the title of this one, the famous Weldon Striper Fishery, bringing you Joey Van Dyke. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post been serving that saltwater fishing community since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in the latest and greatest chapter, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And it is in this Saltwater Podcast Series that we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And I'd like to mention that, albeit the true goal might not just be more fish, but just to give you confidence, to get you motivation to get out on the water, to grab family and friends, and to spend more time more often on the water. I'm joined in this episode, this special 50th episode, just like I am every episode with my partner, Billy Thorpe of Copilot Studio. Copilot Studio, a podcast for higher service. And Billy, Number 50, man. Number 50, Gary. We made it. We made it. Oh, please. Keep it down. Keep it down. Keep it down. Everybody's so excited. Man, and you've, you've dropped this on me before. Not many podcasters make it to 50. No, most uh, podcasts only make it to episode seven on average. On average, seven is it. Seven. So we made it. We made it. We're good. We're good. <laughs> We're in the top one percenters, Gary. Good for us. Man, it is so. This is what it feels like to be a one percent. I never knew before. I've heard it mentioned on the news. The one percent. We're the one percenters, bro, of the podcasting. World. How come my wallet's not fat? It's just not that kind of industry. Well, well, man, you probably heard me say I got oh, a special man. guest. We line up a special guest for this. I'm 50th. excited. Yeah, I'm man. excited. It's going to be a good one, man. Good episode. It's been fun, Gary. And I got to go do other shows, man. I'm at, No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're breaking up with me? <laughs> it's, it's 50. We're not live, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm not breaking up. We're, we got we another at least another 50 before we kill each other. No, we haven't killed each other in 50. Probably not going to kill each other yeah, in another 50. We're rocking. We're good, dude. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. A lot of information. A lot of good feedback. Amazing audience. So I'm having fun, man. It's always good to put something out there, inspire people, and, and they you know, call you or tell you, hey, man, I love your show. I love what you're doing. So it's always good. I agree. That's cool, man. Lots of fun. There's only one way that we make this happen. Hey, it's Robbie with Marine Warehouse Center in Wilmington and Charleston. We are headquarters for Pair Custom Boats. These center consoles are handmade in Washington, North Carolina, and are custom designed for fishing and family fun on the water. Right now, we have several models in stock. The deal times on the custom orders are around five months. These boats are custom built to fit your needs, from the seating, the tops, the leaning posts, and the live wheels. You design the entire layout of your boat. Come by and see for yourself why they're one of the fastest growing boat builders in the country. 
man, I want to buy a boat. <laughs> I know, right? That that last little, like that last little jam right there is like that's what does it. Man, good video and yeah. jam at the end. Like, where's <laughs> I'm sign me up, man. Get me financing. I'll I'll mortgage. I'll second mortgage the house. Emmett and Terrell just put me in a boat. <laughs> you guys heard it. I'm not helping. <laughs> Man, they already take care of my boat. I got a bay boat. They already take care of me. They keep they keep me on the water, and they even add some upgrades to my boat. Yeah, man, that's a good thing. I love it that we're putting sponsors on here that we believe in, that we know, that we have a relationship with, and so it's not just us going, go to Marine Warehouse Center, but you actually use them. I don't because I don't have a boat, but I do buy their hats, and they're amazing. <laughs> you buy the hats, and I get them to work on my boat. Let's yeah. keep that going. Yeah, man, I love it. It's so good. I'm keeping them in business with this hat purchase. And the the relationship is so good. I don't even mind listening to Terrell still try to tell me horrible jokes that. Well, is he still doing that? He's still doing that. It's ridiculous. After 50 episodes, he's still He's still forcing, trying to tell me bad jokes. Forcing us to put those bad jokes on he the air. He says, hold on, I'll call you back after <laughs> Wheel of Fortune's over, and I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you the latest joke. I'm like, Terrell, I can't wait. And this one, I mean. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for it, Gary. Why? And this is from Terrell. This isn't me. Why did the fish blush? I don't know. It's all the ocean's bottom. <laughs> I give that a laugh. And you know what? I'm not even positive I haven't already used that one. <laughs> you know what? I was sitting here like, I'm pretty sure I've already heard this, but I'm going to pretend like I, I mean, have it. If there's a time to be lazy, it's for the 50th episode, right? I mean, yeah, a special like... episode. Wouldn't want to do any extra work to like make sure I haven't used that joke before. Hey, let's go back to episode 10. What joke would I use? Terrell I wouldn't remember that. anyway, man. He doesn't remember that stuff. Dude, I co-host the show. I didn't really remember. I thought, like, I think I maybe heard this before, but I didn't know if that was from Terrell or from my... Two and a half year old, but whatever. Fingers crossed we have a new fish photo, not a fish photo we're recycling. Well, let's see, Gary. Yeah, Scott Bowen with a speckled trout and a Spanish mackerel, both caught on a popping cork and gold curly tail while fishing the surf on Mason Bro. That's a, a significant catch for that dude. I'm proud of him. Yeah, that's awesome. Looks like a great fish. Um, So we've got something to talk about. We've got something new we're adding into our rotation, and you know about it. This for is our just 50th my favorite episode. Buy me a coffee. Buy me a coffee. I'm going to let you tell people about Buy Me a Coffee. Yeah, so Buy Me a Coffee is a, a really cool place where they created uh, a, a place where you can go support creators like us. We're content creators. We're in the space of fishing. We're educating people and all that kind of stuff. And so these people created this thing and it's like, hey, this is a cool way to buy people a virtual coffee if you like what they do. And so I actually ran across it because I support a podcaster myself. And I was like, dude, we should have this for fish posts. And we've we put it up and actually had some spot people like give us some coffee money. Coffee it's been money, great. Yeah, so it's like a buy us a coffee if you like the show. I mean, no pressure. Are we begging? I, I'm beg. I'm begging for a boat, not for a cup of coffee. If I'm going to beg, it's going to be for a boat. I mean, I think we put out a quality product <laughs> that anyone would be proud to support. Yeah, so you can just go to buymeacoffee.com/slash/fisherman's/post, right? That's, That's right. The best way. And then there's on Fisherman's Post. If you go to the podcast homepage, not the page with all the videos, but just the podcast information page, we got a link there too. Yeah. And if you recommend a good cup of Joe in town, I'm I'm a coffee guy. I like it. Well, what I want you to do is I want you to pay attention when I'm talking to Joey, and because I'm coming to you for Billy's best takeaway, and that's. We're we're planning on Joey not messing this thing up, man. I'm just not. I'm worried about him messing this. What did you up. say, Gary? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm paying attention. I, I've been fishing with Joey, so I know he knows what he's talking about. 
you know, part of the reason I scheduled him is because the photo of you and I holding the trout is from the bow yeah. of Joey's boat. Yeah, and another friend of ours, Zach Kirby, which I cut out of we that. We cut that guy out. <laughs> You're not on the show. Forget you, Kirby. <laughs> Maybe we'll bring him in for a product feature. That would be awesome, man. He, be he's great. a gear nerd. Dude, he is a gear nerd. Yeah. But right now it's about Joey, so let me bring up Joey. Billy, please cue me our all-star guest for this 50th episode, and I am talking about Captain Joey Van Dyke of Fingence Sport Fishing out of Hatteras, but we're not talking Hatteras fishing right now. We're talking about Weldon fishing. Joey, welcome to the show, man. A pleasure to have you. Thank you. And when I say it's a pleasure to have you, as I've talked about, it's a pleasure to have you because I'm not sure how nice I'm going to be to you. There's something about your personality that just makes me... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> want to mess with you yeah. and i'm telling the audience up front so they don't think i'm a mean and they don't think i'm a bully i'm just saying there is something about joey that brings out me saying dumb stuff and so <laughs> i've gotten that out of the way and now i'm forgiven in my mind i'm forgiven no matter what i say yep <laughs> <laughs> he agreed we all heard it he agreed <laughs> joey we are going to be talking about the famous weldon striper fishery and I think, man, it is a North Carolina staple. It's a North Carolina must-do. So I'm excited to feature this on the podcast. I think this is the right time and everything. And in your notes, I was looking at it. We're going to talk about drifting for them. We're going to talk about anchoring for them. We're going to talk about artificials. We're going to talk about topwater. So there is a lot going on with that Weldon Striper fishery, and I'm eager to start that conversation. But as is tradition on the Fisherman's Post podcast, my guests have to get through two questions before we'll proceed to the main event. And so my question, Joey, is are you ready for your two questions? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Man, that is just the spirit we are looking for. I'm excited. <laughs> Joey, why should we listen to anything you have to say about a striper? Well, I've got a little experience over the years fishing up and down the Roanoke River, traveling. I've fished a lot of places and I've learned a lot over the years just on the fisheries and stuff. And I enjoy the welding fishing. It's probably the, one of the best fisheries we can have anywhere in North Carolina. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I appreciate it. It's on my list to get back. I've done it a couple of times, but it's been a few years, so it's on my list to get back. So you're going to take me down memory lane with our conversation today. That is, of course, if you get through question number two. Question number two, as is tradition, is a non-fishing related question. My attempt at levity. And so I am playing off of your last name, Van Dyke. It reminded me of that famous actor, Dick Van Dyke. I hope you're at least somewhat familiar with him. He starred in Mary Poppins. He starred in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. What was the name? Here's your question. What was the name of the popular TV show that starred Dick Van Dyke? The Dick Van Dyke Show. Man, I thought I was going to get him on an easy one. (laughs) Joey, you're messing this show up already. That wasn't the plan. You were supposed to mess it up, and I could go, aha, gotcha. Good for you. I want to lose. I actually want to (laughs) lose. Joey, enough about that. Let's talk about stripers. Let's talk about welding stripers. And before we get to drifting, anchoring, artificials, and topwaters, set the stage for us, man. Set the stage for when and set the stage for where. I mean, we're saying welding, but give people an idea of you know, before they go to Google Maps of where we're talking about. Weldon is up against the Virginia-North Carolina line up by Roanoke Rapids. Uh, It's very close to Emporia, Virginia. It's a great fishery up there. Um, When you start looking at the Roanoke River itself, it actually has 112 miles the fish have to travel up the river 
just to get the welding in the fishable areas. And all the way up, I mean, there's excellent fishing all the way up. And once you get to weldings, like their staging area for them getting ready for the spawn. And we get a lot of males up there that lead the edge. And then we start getting the big spawning females come up probably about, I'm going to say about the end of April through the about the mid, middle of May is when the big sows really show up good and stuff like that. But we usually start fishing probably about the middle of April is probably the beginning of it where we start getting the big numbers and what we're talking about big numbers is doing you know 100 of fish per trip and stuff like that it's phenomenal and stuff you're talking 100 fish in a half day you're talking 100 fish over the course of the day five hour trip yes sir and are you do you guys usually do two trips a day up there we do do two trips a day you know we leave at 7:45, get back in it 12.30, 12.45, and then leave back out at 1.30, fish till 6.30 every day. Um, you said do-do. We do do two trips a day. <laughs> well, I didn't get bleeped, did I? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, anyway. <laughs> and uh, so what are the factors? I mean, we're talking about a river, but we're talking about a dam release river. Like, give me some of the variables that you take into consideration with, you know, What's going to make for a good day, challenging day on that Weldon River? I mean, on the Weldon fishery on the Roanoke. The main thing is the flows and stuff like that. We keep up with, I mean, we get up every morning. We're hitting the USGS sites. We're checking the flows from the Roanoke Rapids Dam. And we're seeing how much it's flowing. Most of it, we like about 12,000, about, I mean, 15,000, although, you know, but it's good that time. But, I mean, we fished all the way up to 35,000. CFS and it was cranking. I mean, we're up in the bushes. I mean, we're just up in the trees fishing that whole time because we're getting out of the current and stuff like that. But the ideal conditions is twelve to fifteen thousand. Uh, you can drift real efficiently down through there. It's not a fast drift. You can control everything, and you'll find the fish staged up in different areas, and we'll be using the bottom machine on them and marking them where we can also anchor up on them also. Well, let's talk about trying to put a fish in the boat, man. Let's go Let's go into that. And again, from your notes, it seems like, I mean, I'm sure you could start anywhere, but since you put drifting in the notes first, let's talk about drifting. Is that the most popular technique? Uh, that is probably the most popular technique on the river and stuff like that. The first thing I'm going to recommend to everybody is get good live bait. It makes a big difference. The herring up there, you can get them at, the, there's a couple shops that sell them. Um, or you can go up to the lakes at night and catch them. So, I mean, you got a whole diversity of areas to catch good fresh bait. So, if I'm having 100 fish half day, does that mean I have well over 100 baits on the boat for that half day? I carry 300 baits a day. 300 baits a day. And if I were going to buy them 300 baits from a local tackle shop, I could expect to come out of pocket what? About 120 bucks for 150 of them. <laughs> I'm guessing that as a guide and up there for over a month that you're catching them in the lake at night. Trying to my best. Yes. A lot of late nights. And, uh, what size are these herring? I mean, again, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of people here in this podcast, this is new to them, you know, not firsthand. So what is, what is this herring? How big is it? And you know, anything about special about keeping it alive? Is it a hardy bait? they're very uh they're very susceptible actually to dying so you just can't put them in a bucket and then take them to the river and put them in a little minute bucket and carry them down the river they will smother out real quick 
um, we're using, you know, bait liner tanks and stuff like that. We're using 50 gallons because we got so much bait on the boat. But uh, a lot of people can get away with like a 15, 20 gallon tank and you can get you a couple dozen, you know, herring. These things, um, we usually salt the tanks a little bit, put a little just pool salt in it, non-chlorinated, and that keeps them fresh, keeps them from losing scales and stressing out real bad during the day. Uh, sometimes during the middle of the day, we do change out the water just to keep fresh water in there and keep just keeping them happy. All right. So you go, you definitely have to give them some attention. You can't just buy and let them, that's not a mud minnow that'll live on the bottom of the boat. No, sir. No. A lot of people buy minnows up there and over the years and stuff like that, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of people come back to the dock. You know, we've had triple digits days, all the guides have at the dock and, people will walk up to you and go, did y'all catch any fish? And we're like, yeah, we had a good day and stuff like that. And he goes, well, man, we just caught four and all we have is these crappy minnows and stuff like that. Well, unfortunately, if you're going to step up to the game, you got to step up to the herrings and stuff like that. It's the best of the best up there. Okay, man. So you've got a tank full of herring, a tank full of live herring. You've got a little bit of salt in there. You're planning on recirculating the water. You're trying to not to have them stressed out because that'll call, cause them to scale out. I think that's what you said. And yeah. so we've just left. Uh, there's a big old public boat ramp there at Weldon. Um, I'm I'm hoping people call you and fish with you. But if they have a mind to take their own boat up there, anything they need to know about that public boat ramp? Uh, low water anywhere from I'm gonna say eight thousand cfs. Please pay attention to your water because that is a major factor up there in launching your boat. And there's some rocks to take into consideration that you can hit and. Uh, there's a real big one right in front of the dock, probably about 15 foot off the dock. And at 8,000, you're getting right there at that strike zone that you can hit that with your lower unit. Uh, when you go down river, most of the rocks are pretty defined. I mean, we have a big old bridge abutments there. And then after that, it's clear sailing pretty much besides some logs. All right. So if I'm on your boat and you've got me loaded down with bait, I'm confident we're Ed and Weldon. I'm excited to experience this fishery. What do I expect, man? What's your first move? First thing I do is when I get the people on the boat, I'm idling down the river and I kind of break it down as like I'm telling them I use my electronics a lot up there because that's what makes the difference of finding the fish and just, you know, getting out in the middle of the river and just looking and stuff like that. I go to the sides of the river. We're using our electronics. We're finding the big marks of fish. And if we don't find that, we'll find scattered fish along the bottom. And that's, you know, you tell your people that's what we're doing. We're hunting for what we're looking for. And most of the people are pretty understanding of that. So you're looking for marks. Are you using, does that have to come from like a side scan or are you able to just use a, the standard bottom reader? Like, and what does that mark? Look I like? got side scan and stuff like that, but the, uh, actually I just use straight up and down, keep it simple. I mean, you know, you can ride up and down those banks down up there and you're anywhere from nine to 12 foot of water all the way down the river banks. Any, uh, any help at what a striper mark would look like on that machine? Like, so that I know I'm, I have confidence that I'm actually marking stripers. <laughs> the best thing I can say is, um, uh, what we call a haystack mark and stuff like that's kind of growing up down here on the coast. You know, we're, we're looking for gray trout and stuff like that. And they mark like a haystack, but they'll actually come up and then hump back down. And as those are the kind of marks we're primarily looking for, for the big schools of fish. Uh, a lot of days we're finding them just broken up little, you know, nice size blobs going all the way down the side of the river. And those are drift fish for sure. 
And what we'll do is we'll, when we start marking those kind of fish, if they're just scattered out, we come back up the river above them. You know, I'll get 100 yards above them before I even get the boat up against the bank again. I'll use my trolling motor. And, I mean, you can use your outboard if you want to to keep her in and out of gear and just keep her off the bank. But the trick is, is keep up close to the bank as you can. And what I usually tell my people is to drop down to the bottom with their weights. And what's going to happen is they're going to get snagged if they leave it on the bottom. So I tell them to take about three to four cranks off the bottom. It brings it up about 18 to 20 inches off the bottom. And it keeps you out of a lot of the little limb snags down here, some of the major trees that are on the bottom. And we'll start drifting. All right, man. So let me unpack some of what you just said, because this is great information. I think you're helping us out. So you're not anxious to put a hook in the water. You're first want to take some survey. You still want you want to see where you want to put a hook in the water. Yes. And sometimes you'll see a school and and maybe we'll talk about that. But it seems like you were addressing I'm not seeing a big school that I need to target, I'm, but I am marking yes. pretty consistent down like a bank. So then I'm going to go back up above where I started marking these scattered fish along the bank. And then I'm going to drift down and, and sort of target what I just drove over. Is that, did I follow? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah. And so when I'm drifting, and again, sometimes the river is moving faster, you're using the trolling motor to slow your drift and keep you to the bank, or you're not so much worried Actually, about slowing your drift. It's just about proximity to the bank. Actually, I keep it right up against the bank and I turn my boat sideways. And as I'm drifting, that way there's a, you know, I have a big area for my charters. You know, you got four guys standing there and they can stand down one whole side of the boat and I can, you know, we can cover that whole swath. I got a 24 foot boat I use up there. So it's a big area I can cover and spreads everybody out and everybody has a good time just drifting like that. And I'll use the trolling motor and I'll bump it in and out of gear to keep me up against the bank. And to keep the boat straight, because a lot of times with the current and stuff like that, you'll hit little eddies and it'll push your bow a little more downriver, or it'll slow you down. Your stern will actually speed up. So you just keep her exactly 90 degrees to the bank while you're drifting. If I leave my motor on, does that disrupt the fish? Does that bother the bite? Not really. These fish are coming up the river. That's what they got on their mind. I mean, they're in the spawning mode and they're coming there. So that motor does not scare them up there. And if you're dropping to the bottom and then giving a couple of cranks up, so I'm like actually 18 to 20 inches off the bottom, is that every line on the boat? Like it's all about being close to the bottom without being on the bottom? Or is yes. someone, is someone yeah. targeting a different part of the water column? Yeah. You see a lot of people up there and stuff like that, and they drop their lines way, way out there, and they're dragging, and you can see the rod tips just bouncing and stuff like that. And all they're doing is clogging that herring, you know, right in front of the hook. The herring's getting leaves on him. It's catching, you know, you're catching everything that's going down through there. You're getting snagged up all the time. And when I bring it up off the bottom, I'm still right in the strike zone for the fish because they're either on the bottom or just a hair off the bottom. But I'm getting across most of the major snags going down the river also. And that's, you're hoping that I'm straight up and down. I don't want any slack. I want to be straight up and down so that I keep it time. off. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about the rig, man. People love specifics. People love details. So tell me about, you know, from leader to hook, like how you're, how you're hooking this live herring. We're keeping, be honest with you, it's very simple and stuff like that. We're using the number two circle hook and it's really light wired. 
and then we got about 18 inches of 15 pound leader a lot of people like to use heavier leader but over time most of us have found out 15 to 20 pound leader works the best up there if you do get snagged it's easy to pop loose and the reason is is because we got a swivel up there above the 18 inch leader and then we have a bead so we don't smash our egg sinker above it and usually when we're drifting we're using a half ounce just egg sinker above it and are is fluoro key or really just leaders key I use fluoro just about for everything is just because of abrasion resistance. I mean, it's so tough. I mean, that 15 pound, I'll get, we'll get snagged on the river and you swear the guy's up there bowed over and he's snatching and jerking and you think he's got a blue Marlin on. Him. <laughs> uh, so if you're working down this bank and you're picking at feet, picking at fish or, you know, maybe more than, I mean, again, a hundred fish day, you're doing more than picking at fish. Um, what about the bite, man? What can I expect when I've found my striper? Well, usually what I tell the guys and stuff like that was we're drifting down the river and stuff. I tell them to hold their rod tip up in the air, probably about, I was going to say about a 45. And as soon as they get a bite with a circle hook, I tell them as soon as they get the bite, drop down just for that quick second and then just do a little quick set. You don't have to jerk real hard or nothing with circle hooks. And then you hang on and it's, they're there. So why are we dropping the rod tip when they feel it? What, what does that accomplish? The reason is, is because of like the hearings and stuff, we hook them through the nostrils. So they're swimming like down there. And a lot of times them rockfish will come up and just bite half of him and just grab a hold of him. And then they take a second lunge and they get it down in their mouth a lot, a little bit deeper where you can get a better hook set on them. And then a lot of the, the guys, you know, naturally everybody's, as soon as you get a bite is to set the hook. And it's a little bit of a learning curve to be able to drop your rod tip just for that quick second. And then that drastically increases the hook set ratio. Yes, sir. And, uh, man, what size fish are we talking about here? I know you said the males sort of lead the way and then the females are bigger that follow. What What is the typical class of fish on, on the Weldon fish? Our average, yeah, our average fish up there is probably 17 to probably 24-inch class fish. And keeping fish? Keeping fish is 18 to 22 inches. And how many? And then you're allowed one over 28. One over 28? How many in that slot am I allowed? Two. Two, two okay. Per, well, yeah, it's two per person still this year. Okay, man. Um, so I know we're talking about anchoring as well, but before I transition, any final thoughts on that drift fishery? Anything else you want to tell us? That's what majority of the folks do up there, and, and it's very efficient and stuff like that. The best thing I tell people, a lot of people get out in the middle of the river, and they just kick back and drift, which I don't blame them. I mean, they're enjoying their time off and stuff like that. But if you really want to efficiently fish that river on a drift, I highly recommend getting up against the edge of the banks and working those edges for the fish. You'll have a lot more success that way. Hey, what a... What about a protocol up there? I mean, that's a busy fishery, a lot of boats. Like, what is it, you know, if I want to go up there and I want to successfully fish, I also don't want to be that guy, whatever that means, that guy. What is it that I want to do? What is it that I want to avoid to do so that guys like you aren't looking at me like, man, you're messing this up? We get, that place is a really unique area and stuff like that. You get people from all walks of life up there with boats and all different kinds of boats. I've seen a 
1934 Chrysler motor outboard up there at one time on the back of a John boat. I was pretty impressed with that. <laughs> Still ran. But uh, the best thing to do is stuff like that is when you're drifting down the river and stuff, you're going to have a lot of guys anchored on the side of the banks too. They're going to be tied off the trees. Uh, a lot of guys use their trolling motors up there to hold a spot for a while while they're anchored up. And so all you got to do is just move off the bank just for a little while drift down past them and then just pull the boat right back up against the bank and cover more area. I mean, it's pretty plain and simple. Yeah. that does, I mean, that sounds pretty straightforward. All right. Well then let's transition. Like what scenario gets you to anchor instead of drift? If drifting is the favorite, what has to happen where you say, man, we're going to do some anchoring today. Usually when I'm anchoring, uh, I like to find the big marks of fish just stacked up real heavy and then I, what I will do is I'll spin around the boat, I'll bring her back up river, and then I'll get right up current of them. I usually try to get about 30 foot in front of them, and I put my trolling motor over, and then I'll hit the anchor mode. And then I'll get the guys, I'll usually pick a spot right on the bank, like a, anything, like, a, you know, it could be a tree stump or a limb in the water, and I'll find right where them fish are, and I'll get the folks to cast off the back of the boat then, to right where that spot is. And what you're going to do is just let your line go straight down the bottom there, free spool. And then after that, as soon as you feel it go slack, you close your bail, hold your rod tip up. When you get the bite, you do the same thing. You drop down and then pop them a little bit. So you're using spot lock on the GPS, but you're saying some people will tie up to branches or is anyone dropping an actual anchor to do this or is it either tie up or GPS it because that bottom's pretty tricky? A lot of guys use mushroom anchors. I keep two on the boat too. Cause sometimes the current is just too strong for the trolling motors or you don't want to burn your trolling motor up the, you know, right off a of bat in the morning. So you, you know, and then in the afternoon you don't have no juice left in your batteries for your trolling motor and stuff. So a lot of people do anchor up there also. Uh, mushroom anchors are highly recommended. Don't use a Danforth up there because you won't get it back. I promise you. I believe you. I believe you, Joey. And so you'll have just two, maybe three people off the back of the boat, and they're just cast into the one spot you said, and there's no action. I mean, with a live bait, there's no action. It's just getting it in the right zone and then waiting for the bite. Yeah, that live bait, I mean, it's doing all the action for you. It's swimming into the current, nose first, and it's paddling and stuff like that. And once they find it, it's game on. Once you get one to bite, you got the whole school right there controlled. So how often is it that you find a school, but they're not, they're lockjaw? Like, you know, you saw what you saw on the bottom and you're doing everything right, but you can't pick up a bite. Does that happen? Or man, these fish are aggressive and that really just doesn't happen. It will when the river, when you wake up in the morning, and you look at your sites and stuff like that, and you see where they drop the river real quick. They dropped it from like 16,000 down to say 9,000 real fast. Well, that shuts them fish down because they're trying to settle back into you know, the water pressures and stuff. And a lot of times what we'll do is when we mark them like that and they're not biting, I'll switch back up and I'll go drift fishing for them again. And I'll drift down through the school and you'll pick up two or three there and keep working down the river and you'll find more and more as you go on down the river. And later on in the day, a lot of times with those fish, being in that lower water, a lot of times they'll progress and go back up river and then they'll be back on the food bite again for the afternoon. And how far from the ramp will you go, man? I mean, you said it's uh, over a hundred miles. Of course, you know, you're focused in on that area around where they, where they meet, where they sort of end their journey. But what is the 
typically the furthest away from the boat ramp you'll travel and then say, I'm not going any further to look for fish. I've run down as far as 12 miles down the river and stuff like that, but it just gets so far out of bounds and you're pretty much by yourself down here, which is kind of nice, but you got to call it sometime. But most of the time you can find those fish from about a half mile below the ramp all the way down to about two miles below is just, you, if you can't find a school of fish there, there's something wrong. I can promise you. All right. So now I'm going to transition our conversation from anchoring and drifting live bait to artificials because I'm sure some people are thinking I'm going to spend 120 bucks on herring. You know, I mean, I know they're thinking that. I mean, they, a memory is a memory. And if you want that memory, then you buy the herring. But for someone who's just not wired to spend that much money on bait or close to that much money on bait, what are the artificial options? My artificial go-to is going to be a half ounce double barb jig. Uh, I get them custom made from a company right up the beach here. Um, Z-Mans, that's all I use. Ain't nothing, I mean, I use the diesel minnows, the four or five inch ones. Uh, you can use the chartreuse, pink, and the whites are about your primary colors you use at all times up there. And a lot of times is what you're doing, you're still riding down the river, you're marking the fish. And then you turn around, you anchor up off the bank of ways. You're getting off there probably about a third of the way off the river to where you can cast to the bank with your charter. And what I'm doing is I'm getting them to cast above where the fish are and slowly just drifting down just a little bit till they get into the strike zone. And a lot of times it's a very hard jigging process, as you well know, Gary, <laughs> is the pop and then be able to feel that drop when you're dropping a jig. And um, it can be very productive up there at times. So you're not going to continue to drift so much with artificials. You're going to look for your fish, and then you're going to do the anchor technique. But instead of being on the bank, you're off the bank so that I can cast up river. My It's almost like a swing, swing movement on my artificial. The river is swinging it past the boat, and I'm casting up far enough so that it has time to get into the zone before it gets to the fish. Yes, sir. Yep. Usually I try to stay just a hair above the fish when I anchor, and then that way it just drips on back. Man, if you got something better to do, Joey, we'll wait if you want to take that call. <laughs> I ain't worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was actually a little disappointed in myself, man. I am taking this way too serious with Joey. Like, I'm going to finish this podcast and think this is a wasted opportunity. <laughs> Man, why did I not take more shots? Thank you, phone. Thank you, phone, for ringing for bringing me back out of this serious. I mean, it's great information. I do love this yeah. Weldon fishery, and I'm excited to have you on to talk about it. And so, with those artificial, I'm now transitioning back with those soft plastics with the Z-Mans. I'm popping it off the bottom. I'm letting it fall. I'm trying to main contact on the fall, and then when it hits bottom again, real quick, bringing it back up because I don't want it to spend any time on the bottom, but I do want to confirm that I'm bouncing it off the bottom. Yes, sir. Yeah. You want to keep it moving at all times. That's a major thing. I mean, you know, as soon as it touches that bottom, you pop it again, just keep it working all the way back to the boat. A lot of times you'll get fish to follow you off the bank and towards the boat before you even get a strike. And I'm guessing like other soft plastics, it's usually on the fall. It's usually after the pop and on the fall is when I'll get my strike. Yes, sir. It's always on the fall for some reason. We, <laughs> who knows? And am I? I'm not dropping the rod tip then on artificial. I'm setting. 
Yep. You just automatically go ahead and set the hook as soon as it comes tight. As soon as you feel that thump on there, pop them. How tight are you setting your drag for these fish, man? Do you want them to be able to pull line, or is it dangerous to let them? Yeah, I, let, I keep everything light. Just like I'm speckled trout fishing and stuff, I keep a light drag on them and stuff like that, unless it's a bigger one and stuff. But I don't never recommend tightening drags. And once I set it, I leave it right there. And, you know, once you hook that fish, you keep your rod tip up and you crank steady on them. And a lot of times that fish will come onto the river, come right onto the boat with you in no time flat. So they don't immediately go to structure and it's not like the first five feet of the fight is crucial because it's going to seek out a branch to wrap around like it's it's not no, anxious like that. No, these fish are small enough and stuff like that. You know, you're using medium light tackle and it can handle them all day long. And you can also keep their heads turned right towards you. As soon as you hook them up, you have no problems. All right. And so I'm moving on down our checklist of our talking points. And this whole podcast, you've been talking about stripers on the bottom. So, Joey, go ahead and tell me how I'm going to catch it on a topwater now after you spent this entire podcast telling me how they're on the bottom. Topwater, morning time fishing and late, late afternoon fishing. It's a very beautiful fishery. We do get uh, occasions when all the threadfin shad, the herring, and everything else are stacked up right at the boat ramp, sometimes right at the rocks. And the stripers are just exploding everywhere. I mean, you can look, you can stand right up there at the pavilion, and you can look, and there's just stripers exploding everywhere from the rocks down past the boat ramp. It's just something phenomenal to see. And topwater action is just about as good as it gets right there a lot of times. I mean, you can do it from the bank. We watch people from the bank, and they're catching, you know, 20, 30 rockfish right off a bank a lot of days when that action is going on. So the condition, why is it that it's just early in the morning and late in the afternoon? Because most of the time, the rockfish are just starting to fire up on the bait as the bait's moving up the river. And it's still, you know, during the middle of the day, those fish settle to the bottom. So morning time and afternoon is just like a you know regular bass fishing and stuff like that. Your best bites are morning, late, early morning, late afternoon fishery for for topwater. And if you're not seeing surface activity, will you still try the topwater, or really you need to see that surface activity to have confidence that topwater is going to play out? Every once in a while, I'll try it just for blind shots and stuff like that. And you do catch fish like that and stuff. There's some guys up there. That's what they focus on is all artificial and they do very good with top water. And then they flip, you know, as the sun gets up earlier, later on in the morning, they flip, switch over to jigs and go back to, you know, fishing flukes on the bottom and stuff and works very good. You ever have fly fishermen on the boat or do you cater to that crowd? Yes, sir. Love fly fishing and stuff. And, and the best of it is from May 1st to about the middle of May. It gets phenomenal up there and stuff. Of course, keeper season's closed, so a lot of the boats are off the river then. We don't have the, the amount of traffic. You're down to maybe 15 to 30 boats on the river a day up there, which is really nice. Kind of backs up and you kind of take a breath. And um, fly fishing is great up there. And I'll do the same thing. A lot of times we'll drift down the river. We're using 300 grain sinking line on about an eight, nine weight rod and stuff and the reason you use the sinking line is to get it down in the strike zone a lot of times and get it below the surface because those fish are traveling and stuff so they're swimming up river and you get those strikes um we do a lot of drifting up there and covering just the river itself 
because a lot of times in May is when you really have a good spawn going on and you'll start seeing the rockfish up on top rolling and fighting and they'll push females up to the surface and stuff like that and you'll see eight or ten you know males right there rolling with her and stuff it's a unique fishery right on man you got me excited so joey man we've hit all our talking points i mean i think you've given people ample information a little bit of insight into how it works and how to best target that wilderness fishery what are your final thoughts, man? Anything I didn't ask? Anything I didn't set you up to say? Like, how do you want to end this talk on Weldon Striper Fishery? Come on up. You got to see it once. All right. I mean, I, I agree. I am in that class. Like, our big NC redfish you got to do, and you got to do the Weldon Fishery. There's a couple of must-dos in North Carolina, and I'm, I'm on board with you. Hey, uh, before we say goodbye, Joey, though, I like to sort of talk to the, cal to the captain about the calendar. Again, you're based out of Hatteras, and that, I don't—I mean, down in Hatteras. So you're out of Hatteras on the end of Hatteras Island. When you leave Weldon, you head back to Hatteras. Give me a quick walk through the uh, the Joey Van Dyke calendar when you're when you're back in home waters. Well, finish up uh, usually Weldon. We finish up about May 16th, something like that, and then I come right home. I put my other boat in the water down here and dock out of Hatteras Harbor. And then we'll start chasing cobias and big drum out along the inlet and in the ocean. And we'll do that all the way through about the end of May, those cobias going by. And then we'll start switching up and running a lot of half-day charters back in the sound, doing the puppy drum, the speckled trout fishing. And about mid-June, we get another flurry of cobias, and all of those are on the bottom and we target them very specifically all up inside the inlet and up in the channels and stuff as they're coming in to spawn for the summer and stuff and then july all the way through the rest of the summer we're just doing all inshore fishes spanish mackerel bluefish flounder so we're staying busy and we're bouncing back and forth to different fisheries all the time man joey uh i've enjoyed i've thoroughly enjoyed i enjoy fishing with you i've enjoyed talking fishing with you I got a hypothetical question for you, man. You ready? Hypothetic yes, sir. Hypothetically, if Billy used a podcast program so that this whole time you were talking, you had bunny ears and a bunny nose superimposed on your face, hypothetically, would you think that's funny? Yeah, but I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past Billy. <laughs> <laughs> hypothetically, I'm not saying that's what happened. I mean... I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm not saying that's what didn't happen. Joey, man, I look forward to seeing you again. I mean, our annual trout trip. I mean, I, I enjoy your company, man. I appreciate being part of this 50th episode. Yes, sir. Definitely. Yep. All right, man. Looking forward to fishing with you again. Thank yeah, you. Dude. Talk soon. Gary, what an episode, man. Yeah, man. It was awesome. Joey delivered. Joey, I, You know what? Joey did deliver, but you did not. I expected more bashing of Joey Van Dyke, or at least giving him up the road a little bit more. I know. I mean, you're pretty good at that in general. So I'm disappointed in myself. I just really expected more. I mean, I expected more chuckles and more uses of my sound effects buttons of laughter and, and the rim shot, you know, like making little jokes. Let's run it again. Well, yeah, okay, we'll just do it. <laughs> Joey, get back in here. <laughs> oh, man, good, good episode for sure. And uh, my best takeaway is he had me at fly fishing in May on – in Weldon. Right? I was like, well, oh, this is all awesome. I mean, it was all awesome. And then when he said fly fishing, I'm like, I'm sold. Where Instead of 100 boats, you're talking yeah. 13, 15 boats? Yeah, where do I get Where's my ticket? How do I get a ticket? 
<laughs> you buy tickets to man, get on boats, put, right? <laughs> You needed to put Joey on the spot on the camera, man. Oh, uh, yeah. We, so we got to do this episode again. We'll see. If he was on camera and said, hey, Joey, man, uh, how about taking the podcast, guys? And I need you to commit on camera so I can hold you. You know, you've, yeah. I'm disappointed in you. We didn't work him good enough. You didn't work him. I didn't work him. Let's get him back. Get him back in here. We'll work him over and, for a free trip. And this trip. time, don't include the buddy nose and the bunny ears, man. No, that was that was weak, Gary. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. <laughs> Billy. Oh, man. Congrats on 50, man. Dude, fist bump. Across the screen. Nobody saw it because it's in between two screens. <laughs> awesome, dude. We made it to 50, and we're super excited to continue on. And thank you. Big thank you to Marine Warehouse Center, man. Just really... Um, you know, have been supportive of the podcast and really appreciate those guys. So boat service, Gary, just gets his service done there. And even though he's never on his own boat, <laughs> I don't even know why he needs it. I'm not fishing <laughs> on my own boat. I'm rarely fishing on my boat. If you want a sunset tour, go to GaryHurley.com. <laughs> you want to come with my kids and my wife to the sandbar, hop on. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, 50 down, already looking to 51 though. Man, we're just getting started. This has been a fun ride. It's been awesome. Thanks, Gary. We'll see you next episode. Fisherman's Eye